experiment is the sole source of truth. With that assertion, the French mathematician and theoretical physicist Henri Poincaré opened his address to the International Congress of Physics in Paris in 1900. The physicists in the audience will have been delighted, especially when he went on to say that experiment alone can teach us something new and alone can give us certainty. Poincaré was reassuring his audience that for all the clever stuff done by theoreticians and mathematicians, experimenters alone have direct access to truth. My name is Graham Farlow, and I'm the author of The Universe Speaks in Numbers. The book focuses on our understanding of the underlying order of nature and how we can describe it using the abstract patterns of mathematics. But I hope I've made it clear that for all the wonderful usefulness of mathematics, experiment must have the last word on whether a theory really does accurately describe the real world. In this series of interviews which complement the book, I talk mainly to theoretical physicists and mathematicians. But I did want to chat with a leading experimenter, so that we can hear the experimenter side of the story, what they make of the state of particle physics today. How do they feel about the disappointing absence of surprising new discoveries after they brilliantly confirmed the existence of the Higgs boson in 2012? What do they think of the theoreticians who work on theories that appear to be untestable in the foreseeable future? With subatomic particle colliders becoming so expensive, might particle physics one day become unaffordable? Late last December in Trinity College, Cambridge, I talked with my old friend Val Gibson, head of the High Energy Physics Research Group in the Cavendish Laboratory. She's a prominent experimentalist at the Large Hadron Collider in CERN. I began by asking her how long she'd been working on the project. I have been working on the Large Hadron Collider for 24 years. Almost a quarter of a century. Almost a quarter of a century, nearly a whole career's worth. Good and um, it started in 1994 for me mm. when I got my lectureship in Cambridge. Oh, right. And I was looking for a new project. Mm. And at that time, the Collider had been proposed and it was going ahead. Right. And the collaborations were being formed. And I went to a, um, a workshop in Beaut called Beauty 94 at Mont-Saint-Michel in France. All right. And at that point, three collaborations got together to look at my sort of physics at the Large Hadron Collider. When you say your sort of physics, what do you mean by that? It's called, well, it's the physics of quarks. Right, okay. And so that's the constituents of nuclear particles. There's constituents yeah. of the proton and neutron, everything yeah. that makes up the atomic nucleus. Right. Were you based at CERN in, in some sense at no, that time? No, I'd just arrived in Cambridge. I'd ah. left CERN, I'd been a CERN fellow, mm. I'd been working on another programme, mm. and I came to Cambridge and um, got my job, and I was looking for this new project, and the Large Hadron Collider was just sitting there begging me to join. <laughs> do, you, do you remember what your feelings were about the project? Did it seem speculative? to you at the time or a long shot for the sort of physics that i was about to do which was quark physics mm. it was a long shot because right. there'd been a history of failures basically mm. in that area uh, one uh, which didn't really come to much which was a daisy in, in, in germany right called hero b and so we were working on the back of that what, what do you mean by failure there in just it did not work it was a whole new method of looking at quarks and it was looking at proton-electron collisions, right. 
and trying to look at quarks from that. But the detectors just couldn't take the rate and the detectors aged and it just didn't, didn't work. Now, hold, hold, can you just unpack that a second? Because back in the 70s, it was a fantastic experiment where they scatter uh, electrons off protons and neutrons and that's how they found these, mm. uh, identified these quarks. So you're talking about something more subtle than that then? This is more subtle. In fact, yeah. it's, well, it's subtle in the sense it was a higher energy um, exactly the same process, if you like. Um, it's called Rutherford scattering, after Ernest Rutherford, yep. uh, scattering electrons off protons, mm-hmm. except this experiment in, in DAISY had the protons which were also moving, colliding with the electrons. Oh, right. So it was not a fixed, um, fixed okay. target as right, such. Okay. So we were working on the back of that as being a rather worrying idea, mm-hmm. concept at the LHC. Mm-hmm. And of course, looking at proton-proton collisions, you get a huge yeah. amount of background, lots of interactions. Garbage can, garbage can, scattering, yeah, I remember. Absolutely. It was yeah, yeah. And trying to pick out the things we were trying to look for yeah. was not obvious whether we'd be able to do it. But thankfully, over the last 24 years, uh, we've been really successful at looking at quark physics at the LHC. And during that time, were there any particular things you were hoping to see? I mean, I know that surprises are the best things, but are there any things that you were particularly hoping that you could deliver, so to speak? So there are two things that I was trying to look for. Um, I'm still trying to look for at the Large Mm -hmm. Hadron Collider. Mm -hmm. One is why we live in a universe of matter Mm -hmm. and not antimatter. Um, that's still a big question mm-hmm. in physics today. Uh, and the other question is trying to search for new physics, um, like the dark matter in the universe. Dark matter is a term used by astronomers to label the material in the universe that doesn't emit or reflect light and is therefore invisible. It's believed to make up some 85% of the matter in the universe. We always knew there was going to be new physics beyond the standard model. Okay. Because the standard model of particle physics, it explains um, three of the four forces, yeah. but not the fourth force, which is gravity. Right. Um, so you're trying to look for physics which would explain beyond what we currently knew. Right, okay. Okay, so you were hoping for something uh, radic- radically new. Yes, yeah. indeed. Right. Indeed. You haven't mentioned the Higgs? I've not mentioned the Higgs because in my project, ah. I'm not particularly interested in the Higgs. Ah. Uh, the Higgs was discovered in 2012 mm. uh, by what we call the general purpose detectors. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Atlas and CMS mm. and the Large Hadron Collider. Mm-hmm. And that was a great discovery. Yeah. But every, much needed as well. Much needed. Yeah, yeah. And everybody expected it yeah. Right, yeah. to be yeah. there because yeah. it had been proposed in the 60s yeah. uh, by Higgs, Peter Higgs, yeah. um, to give particles their mass. Mm-hmm. And everybody expected it, and indeed, given enough statistics and enough collisions, then it was ultimately. You must mention Angle, Brout, and a lot of other people, but yes, uh, but I just just to there's always this uh, discussion about what Uh, we should actually call this mysterious particle. Whatever you call it, it was it was much needed to complete the standard model. Indeed. Uh, So yes, it was it was discovered in 2012, and one of the biggest discoveries of, of all time, I would say. But that has been it, I think, as far as new discoveries are concerned at the Large Hadron Collider. And so everybody is now searching for physics beyond the standard model. And there are lots of nice little anomalies out there. And quite a few of them are based within the uh, quark sector that I'm I'm Mm. looking at. I couldn't resist asking how experimenters felt having worked for decades and having spent millions of pounds on their shiny new accelerator only to have found nothing surprising. Did they feel hard done by in some sense? 
in a way, yes. Yeah, okay, well, you're very honest. <laughs> but na- we, we can't influence nature. No. Um, and so it's been a surprise that we haven't discovered anything else yeah. yet. In other words, the standard model works better than expected. Indeed, yes, yeah. it does. It really does work well. Yeah. Um, and all the other theories that have been on the table to try and explain the Higgs and its interaction with other particles and its mass in particular, yeah. why it actually has the mass it does, yeah. which is 125 times the proton mass, mm-hmm. um, they predicted new particles um, and new new things that we might observe at the the LHC, and we haven't seen hey, any. You're referring to supersymmetry here, for example. Okay, right, a special new kind of symmetry that uh, yeah. that many physicists. I'm not saying they kill for it, but they would dearly love to see this. Yes, uh, and, and supersymmetry, which yeah. many people have been working on much longer yeah. than the 25 years that I've been working yeah. on in the yeah, Large Hadron yeah, yeah, Collider, yeah, yeah. would predict that there would be more bosons like the W and the Z and the Higgs boson mm. and also more quarks but in the form of what we call squarks yeah. and none of that has been found right. yet there's still potential little yeah, hole there remaining all but, over the optimist yes. but it is amazing isn't it because I can remember writing newspaper articles 20 years ago about new accelerators and theorists were just waiting for this thing to show yeah, up yeah. and you can understand the skeptics saying that they're all taught these supersymmetry people um, and yet of course we, as you rightly implied it's not ruled out it's just it's, hiding it's very hiding well it's hiding very yeah. well yeah. indeed uh, okay. yeah. but we do have a few anomalies at the moment which are suggesting other things beyond mm. supersymmetry mm-hmm. um, and one of them is in the quark uh, sector we've always believed that electrons and their heavier sisters called muons mm. and their heavier sisters called tauons mm. interact in identically with the weak interaction. Right. So mm-hmm. we've always believed that. Mm-hmm. But there seems to be some indication that they're not quite behaving the same. So the standard model wouldn't be quite right then? And it would not be yeah. quite right. right. And it is something which we call lepton flavour universality violation. <laughs> okay. That's a right. mouthful, okay. It's it? quite a mouthful. But it, anyway, the standard model it looks a bit dodgy. Yeah. But again, if you'll forgive me, there have been so many of these anomalies that seem to have disappeared when I go come back from vacation. You know, I've seen people say, look at this two standard deviation thing and three months later they're rather sheepishly saying well it was good while it lasted you're absolutely right and and of course if you look at enough measurements you're always going to find something which is not to bang on what you predict Mm. but it's been interesting over the last couple of years because there are several measurements in the same area which are looking at very similar things which are seeing the same effects but of course it's early days and indeed we need more statistics and with more statistics hopefully they'll become discoveries Mm -hmm. and if not we'll move on and search for the next thing. There are still an awful lot of experiments to do at the LHC. I asked Val about the future programme. So the LHC has been running from 2010 until 2018. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've just closed it down um, for two years when my experiment which is called the LHCB experiment um, is upgrading the whole of its detectors mm-hmm. right? 90% we're replacing 90% of it and we've got two years to do that mm-hmm. and then the LHC comes back on again 
at the same energy, but at what we call a bit higher luminosity. More which intense. Means more, more intense. More intense collisions, yeah. yeah. More, more collisions per book, basically. Right, okay. okay. And then it will run again, and there'll be another shutdown, and the experiments will upgrade in about 2030. That's and it continues to about 2035. Well, I've around to see this. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, it's a whole career's worth. Mm. And if you think about the younger people who are doing projects like this now, it is a concern, actually, yeah. because you have to dedicate yourself for your whole career, mm. and you may not get any results out of it. No. I remember it was a big shock to me. I don't come from the experimentalist state, but when I heard a friend of mine's son got a PhD in experimental physics without actually doing the experiment, but in terms of simulations. Yes, yes. <laughs> There were many theses like that before we started the LHC, uh, just on simulation. Mm. Uh, Thankfully, Mm. we also got some data. Of course, it could have been a real disaster if we never got any data. So what's the future of particle accelerators after the Large Hadron Collider has had its day? That's a good question, because you you want the physics case to determine where you go next, what you do next. <laughs> so if we carry on, say, to 2035, and we still haven't seen anything, then the things that we need to be looking at is, first of all, we need to be looking at the Higgs boson very, very carefully and right. really try and understand the Higgs. Now, explain for people that don't know about particle physics, why is that such an interesting beast, the Higgs particle? Well, the Higgs boson is the particle that gives all the other particles their masses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're looking at the interactions between the Higgs and, say, the W boson mm. and the Z boson mm-hmm. and the quarks mm-hmm. um, and the leptons. And you really want to study all of those interactions carefully Mm. to see if there are any anomalies in there. Mm -hmm. You also want to know what its mass is precisely because there's something called unnaturalness. Mm. And the Higgs has an unnatural mass. It's very Mm. low um, compared to what would be more natural. And it's like having two numbers uh, with 34 digits Mm. and they're cancelling in the final digit. It's Mm. that sort of unnaturalness Uh, uh, that gives the Higgs its mass. So why is it so light? So we really need to understand that. Okay. And of course, it may give us some indication to physics beyond the standard model as well, because we may find it interacts with things that we actually don't know about. So where do you go and do that? Well, you can carry on at Large Hadron Colliders, like proton-proton colliders, but also you can look at electron-positron colliders. And there's proposals in Japan and at CERN and Geneva to have what we call a linear collider, Mm -hmm. which is at an energy which is really just focusing on the Higgs. Mm -hmm. So they may happen. Of course, it becomes very political whether Mm -hmm. they actually go ahead Mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. But um, I think the community would welcome something like that. There's also an electron-positron collider in China being Mm -hmm. proposed, Mm -hmm. which would also look at the Higgs Mm -hmm. um, in detail. Mm -hmm. So that's another possibility. And then as far as CERN is concerned, uh, we are looking towards a future circular collider sitting at about the 100 um, what we call TV, terra electron volts. That's 10 to the 12 electron volts. It's an awful lot higher energy than, uh, than a, large hadron collider. It's yeah. about 10 times yeah, the, the, the energy one, yeah. Yeah, mm. current, which um, would give us an opportunity to also search for new physics. It would be pushing the energy regime as well. Mm-hmm. That's quite a difficult beast to build. Mm. Um, it would either be 80 or 100 kilometres and it would be all the way around yeah. the city of Geneva. Um, oh, so it encompassed yeah. the whole of Geneva. Yeah. 
and that's something else which is on the uh, the books. The other thing we might, well, we are certainly doing, is trying to understand the smallest of the particles, which is the neutrino. Yeah. Um, and that hasn't been really studied in detail, although it's the only place that we really do know the physics beyond the standard model. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because we know that from the experiments we've done before, that the neutrino has mass mm-hmm. and it has zero mass in the standard model. Well, I remember many years ago I was told that it would be perverse for the neutrino to have a mass. And we know it has sure. a mass now, so yeah. we need to really study that in detail. Mm-hmm. And, and that may give us also some indication, well, first of all, we have to understand what the neutrinos are, but also it might give us some indication of what matter versus mm-hmm. antimatter in the universe is, mm-hmm. whether there's an effect in the neutrinos as we see in the quarks as mm-hmm. well, which is what I study. I couldn't resist asking Gibson about the difficulty of persuading governments to invest big money in future particle accelerators if the Large Hadron Collider really does discover nothing beyond the Higgs. Is she worried that politicians and others might start to think it's just not worthwhile to keep spending vast sums of money on these machines? Perhaps it might be better to focus research on other fields. I think we have to tread very carefully because, after all, it's the taxpayer's money that pays for these colliders and lets us do the physics that we love to do. Mm. The solid physics case Mm. is really to study what we already know about, Mm. which is the Higgs boson. Mm. And I think you'd then go stepwise and you would have to build the next physics case on your observations. It was very difficult to sell straight away a big step to do the full circular collider at CERN at the highest energy and high luminosity. Can you imagine, just forget the next 30 years, imagine we're long past you, me and our (laughs) our colleagues. Are you concerned that the kind of physics that you do and love will be a thing of the past in 100 years' time? Because it would be maybe just too expensive to do? Do you fear that? I think in order for it to carry on in 100 years' time, it needs technology advances. So I think the technology advances have to go alongside Mm. the physics. Uh, For example, we need super high magnetic fields and we need to be able to accelerate these particles up to the speed of light efficiently. Nearly the speed of light, yeah. Nearly the speed of light efficiently and without loss. Um, And I'm seeing it recently because we're also looking at potentially doing tabletop experiments again Ah. to look for the dark matter in the universe. Mm. And that has come about because of the advancing quantum technologies. Mm -hmm. So we're looking Mm -hmm. at using what we call quantum sensors. Mm -hmm. So very, very small scale Mm -hmm. to try and find... Uh, the small particles in the universe mm-hmm. of the grand scale. Mm-hmm. And this is something which is, is very interesting, mm-hmm. uh, which will be happening in the next few years as well. Val Gibson is a physicist with her feet very much on the ground, strongly focused on doing experiments that seek to ask pertinent questions of nature. How does she feel about the theoreticians who don't seem much concerned about experiments and whose theories seem to apply most naturally at huge energies comparable to energies in the early universe? Aren't those theoreticians in danger of working on ideas that may never be tested? I think you need all sorts of theorists. Uh, There's a theorist who indeed are working at the Big Bang scale that can't predict anything that you might observe in an experiment. But also there are the theorists, which I would say a little bit more helpful to the experimentalists, mm. which really are sitting on the interface between experiment right. and theory mm. and can indicate sort of where to look, come up with new ideas of things to search for 
and interact and they can also speak to the theorists who are working at the, mm. the highest energy scale so mm. it needs the spectrum as you do need the spectrum of skills in the experimental world as yes. well yeah, yeah. you need the people who can build the, these detectors and yeah. colliders as well as the people who do the physics analysis mm. at the end of the chain and write the papers mm. so mm-hmm. you need the whole spectrum of people but several people have said to, uh, to me and, and elsewhere in public that the balance certainly in the uh, 80s went to far where you had string theory which looked so incredibly promising at that time and people were just competing to hire the the people in that field Mm. many of whom were not particularly interested in experiment and now you you go to a string theory conference and there are people barely talk about experiment now does that unsettle you in any way or you still not no i think i think it oscillates between theory leading the the ideas and the experiments leading the ideas and um, i think they naturally come to rest i mean it takes a long while of course because there's careers involved and so on and expertise mm. but i think the, the people come naturally to rest where the new ideas are needed mm. and you need both you need all sorts to actually progress val had opened by telling me that she'd been working on the large hadron collider for 24 years so my final question was what are her hopes for the next 24 years well, my first hope is I'm still alive. Yeah, okay, <laughs> and, I'll and second that. See, I mean, about myself as well, and you. <laughs> to see the Large Hadron Collider yeah, yeah. complete its work. Yes. Yeah. If I could choose one thing to know more about, ah. and that would be dark matter. Really? What dark matter is it? Right. I think if somebody can crack that, that is absolute world-shattering experimental result. Mm-hmm. I'd also like to know why... Well, you live in a universe made of matter rather than antimatter, but that's my own expertise. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I think that's... I'd still for that. I'd still those two. Yes, I okay. Yeah. Okay, but you're still, a, you're still an optimist about uh, the, the future of physics? Yes. Good. Because while there's inquisitive people out there, there's always a future in physics. Good. Now, Gibson, thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. It was fascinating that Val Gibson is especially eager to know the answer to a cosmological question about the nature of dark matter. This nicely illustrates that cosmology and particle physics have for several decades not been separate subjects but increasingly overlap. Condensed matter physics, mainly about the behaviour of solids under extreme conditions, has also become extremely important. One of the areas of science that repeatedly sheds light on the fundamental questions about the natural world. Barriers are collapsing all over physics, as the prospect of a unified understanding of nature at the deepest level seems tantalisingly close to some theorists. But one thing's for sure, without persevering with experiments, theorists are liable to lose their way and won't be able to check their most ambitious ideas. Physics involves a lot of abstract thinking, but it's fundamentally about understanding the real world.